Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But then they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Allison Nahr, a member here at Mount Olivet. Thank you, Pastor Beth, for inviting me to preach today. Um, today we heard about a tween Jesus in our scripture reading. And how can he be a tween already? It feels like yesterday he was born. Oh, come on. Come on, this is the only time I ever can use that line here at this pulpit. Okay. Ours is a culture that loves questions. Questions show up all around us in songs, in movies, in advertising, in literature. How many of the following questions do you recognize? You talking to me? Who you gonna call? Do you wanna build a snowman? Do you hear what I hear? How many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? Who's on first? Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Wherefore art thou Romeo? Can you hear me now? What would you do for a Klondike bar? What's in your wallet? Questions invade our world. I have to confess, I am addicted to watching Jeopardy at 4.30 every weekday. What makes Jeopardy such a compelling show to watch is that it tips the whole question-answer formula on its head by giving answers as a question and then asking a question for the answer. Job interviews are questions. Students take standardized tests of questions. When we meet someone, we start with a question. How do you do? Store employees ask us, can I help you find something? Servers ask us, does everything taste okay? If you've ever spent time around a three-year-old, you will have been asked, why? Have you ever played questions? Not 20 questions, I know you've played that, but questions. I used to play this with my youth group all the time. You might have seen something like it on whose line it is it anyway, another question. The rules are quite basic. You have to answer a question with a question. A point is awarded to the other player if you answer the question, hesitate too long before responding, repeat a question, or answer with an unrelated or hypothetical question. Here's an example. Want to play a game? What game? How about questions? 
How do you play? Don't you know how to play questions? How would I know how to play if I've never done it before? You get the idea. It's deceptive because it seems so easy at first. How hard is it to ask questions? Questions just roll off our tongues, often with little thought behind them. And that's the rub with this game. You actually have to think, but you're thinking about a question, not an answer. And our brains aren't trained that way. We are trained to answer a question that is asked. We are trained that if we ask a question, we'll receive an answer that imparts knowledge or information that helps us learn something we did not know before. Yet every time we played this game, there were lots and lots of questions being asked, but very little learning going on. Today's scripture lesson, the story of boy Jesus in the temple, reminded me of this game. Did you see it there, right in the middle? Upon finally finding Jesus after three days of him being out of her sight, Mary's first words to Jesus were a question. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. When Mary entered the temple, she didn't see the Messiah. She saw her boy, the one the angel announced she would bear, the one she bore in a stable, the one she fled with to Egypt to avoid his being killed. No wonder she asked what she did. Pay attention here to Jesus' response. It's really important. His words are remarkable. Did you know that these are the earliest recorded words of Jesus in the Bible? Other than the birth story from yesterday, this story, which occurs only in Luke, is the singular insight we have into Jesus' life before his baptism as an adult. But it isn't just the fact that these are his earliest words that makes his response so interesting. Look at what's happening here. He's 12 years old and clearly a faithful Jew, having been raised by faithful parents who regularly go to Jerusalem to observe the festivals. He's a responsible enough boy that his parents weren't concerned that he wasn't at their side while traveling for a full day. Remember that traditionally at age 13, a Jewish boy celebrates his bar mitzvah, which is a coming-of-age ceremony that recognizes that he is ready to be accountable for his actions and bear responsibility for Jewish ritual, law, and tradition. He will be considered an adult then. For now, he's still a child whose parents bear responsibility of his actions. Look at Mary's words more carefully. Your father and I. Here she's referring to Joseph, her husband, the carpenter. The passage even refers to Mary and Joseph as Jesus' parents. Then Jesus turns everything upside down, saying he must be in his father's house. Capital F, Father being God. Now we're faced with two Jesuses, Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, who is becoming known as Jesus, son of God. We have discovered for the first time a different understanding of who Jesus' father is. That's major. And it's easy to miss because it's wrapped up in yet another fascinating fact. Jesus responds to his mother not with an answer, but with questions. Did you notice that? Why were you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? At first glance, 
I admit the mom in me gets a little triggered at what looks like a lippy response from a rebellious tween. After all, I have a teenage boy of my own, and having your question answered with a question is often a stalling tactic or an evasive maneuver to get out of an admission of guilt. But what we have here is not at all a rebellious, sassy, or even guilty smart aleck. I don't see Jesus' questions as defensive or snarky. I see his questions as true wonderment. I think Jesus was genuinely surprised that it hadn't occurred to his parents that he'd be in the temple. Didn't they know who he was? Was that whole thing with the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the gold and frankincense and myrrh? Did we forget all that? Perhaps Jesus was thinking if they just paused to think about who he was, then they'd know where to find him. When we can't find something, we look in the most obvious place for it to be. If I lose my car keys, I don't go to the freezer to look for them. I start by checking my pockets, and then I check my purse again, and maybe I'll check the countertop or even in the car itself. And I think that's what's behind Jesus' questions. Why weren't you looking for me in the most obvious place? Based on who I am and why we were in Jerusalem in the first place, it should be easy to find me. And that's what shows up so prominently for me in this story, that it isn't a story about negligent parents who can't keep track of their child, who also happens to be the Messiah. And it isn't a story about a disobedient child who is hiding from his parents. No, when I read it, I see this is a story about questions. If you look up earlier in the passage, you'll see we're told Jesus was in the temple with the teachers of the law, listening to them and asking questions. This text is sometimes misinterpreted that Jesus is teaching the teachers. In order to understand this verse, you need to understand rabbinical teaching. The rabbinical style of teaching uses questions on the part of the students from which discussions would arise. Jesus had not already mastered the law and was now imparting it to the teachers. No, he was asking questions to learn. Judaism is a religion of questions. It is seen as religious duty to teach children to ask questions. That is how they grow. I read that some Jewish mothers don't ask their children, what did you learn today when they come home from school? Instead, they ask, did you ask a good question today? When the questions are highly valued and a big part of passing on the faith. And we would do well to remember that it isn't just the Jews who ask questions for understanding. Luther wrote the small catechism to be used in the home by parents to teach their children the faith. A catechism is just a series of questions with answers to be memorized. But long before Luther, there was the Manishtana. Do you know what that is, the Manishtana? It comes from the Jewish observation of the Passover Seder. It all starts with a question by the youngest child and is translated to, why is tonight different from all other nights? This phrase is repeated at the start of each of what is called the four questions, which highlight the ways in which Passover customs and food distinguish the holiday from the rest of the year. Many of the customs that have developed around the four questions are designed to fulfill the obligation to tell the story to one's children. 
So you see, the Passover Seder is more a forum for education than a festival of commemoration. The Seder plate isn't actually the focus. The children are. Their questions and their learning. Now, Jesus and his family were in Jerusalem to observe Passover. So this ceremony would not only be familiar to him, but fresh in his mind. And I'm just going to bring you down a little rabbit trail just for a moment. This is another interesting note about this story, not related to questions, but related to Passover. I want you to notice that here we have Jesus in Jerusalem for the Passover, in the temple, keeping company with the teachers of the law, the very people who two decades later, when he is again in Jerusalem for the Passover, have him tried, convicted, and put to death. And he is gone for three days. You connect the dots. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read the last three chapters of Luke or come talk to me after service. Okay, back to questions. These questions that inspire discussion and learning are the kinds of questions that Jesus was asking that were astounding the teachers in the temple. We don't know exactly what questions he asked in the temple that day, but we do know that Jesus goes on to ask a lot of questions throughout his life. Hundreds of questions. Questions like, who touched my clothes? If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? What do you want me to do for you? What are you looking for? Why are you so afraid? Do you love me? Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Not every question has an answer we can understand. Not all questions even have answers or need one. Some questions lead to knowledge, some lead to understanding. There's a difference. Jesus' questions are often the latter. Jesus' question, the questions that Jesus asks aren't ever neutral. They cause us to wake up. They stir up a response in us. They force us to look within and reflect and be transformed. And for this reason, I love Jesus' questions. And there are times for this reason, I don't. He challenges us with those questions of his. You of little faith, why do you doubt? Who do you say that I am? Where is your faith? Oh, those, those questions sting sometimes. They force me to face some tough stuff about myself, but they also help bring me back to him. But being asked a question is very different from asking questions. And I want to focus on asking questions. I'm going to tell you something. Asking a question is really brave. It is an admission that there is some lack on your part. There's an empty space to be filled. Something you don't know that another person does. Admitting that can be hard. I'm sure you can think of at least one example in your life where you were too shy or too embarrassed to ask a question. Had you simply asked, things would have gone smoother or more quickly or been over before it got worse. Sometimes we don't ask a question because we simply don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we don't ask 
because we're afraid of what the answer could be. But asking questions is one of the best things that we can do. Mary asked a tough question of Jesus, and that in turn gives us an example and permission to ask tough questions of Jesus. Her question is one we ask sometimes in our lives. Why have you treated us like this? We've all had our tough seasons, haven't we? When things keep going wrong, when the job layoff comes, when the car won't start, when the divorce gets finalized, when the diagnosis really is cancer, when your college application gets rejected, or when you just can't catch a break. When things are hard and scary and unknown, we want to ask God, why have you treated us like this, God? It runs through our minds, and we can feel afraid to ask it. What if God doesn't like that question? What if it makes God angry that I ask that? When it comes to our faith, we often have very big questions, which we think require very big answers. Questions we sometimes think are too big even for God to answer. Well, I've got news for you. God can handle your questions, even your tough ones, especially your tough ones. So go ahead and ask it. Even Jesus asked God a tough question, his last one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But remember, not every question has an answer you can understand. That's where the faith part comes in. A rabbi once said, we are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers. Some questions don't have answers in this lifetime, period. There are some things we will never fully understand. So I'm not here to give you answers. That's not my role or my work to do. But I am here to remind you and give you permission to ask questions. Continue to seek knowledge and understanding, not answers. The wise person isn't the one who knows but the one who wants to know.